I can't believe that there would be a single Buffalo Bills fan listening to any kind of sports radio or sports podcast today. Yeah, you're going dark. I get it if, no, I get it if it's in the moment where you do a call-in show, right? Oh, sure. If you're, if you're going to WGR, you're going to my boy Nate Geary. Yeah. And it's heat of the moment, you just want to blast. You just, you want to sound off. Yeah. They used to do that at these radio stations. That's what they Sound off your opinion. Call in for your, you can sound off. It's your turn. Tell the players what, <laughs> what you really think. Yeah, see, it's your turn to sound off. I would have been sounding off for sure about the Bills <laughs> last night. I would have needed to get that out, but I, I'm the type of fan when it goes bad, when it goes bleak, you just got to ostrich it. Oh, yeah. You got to ostrich it. You got to try to get through the tough times. Full media blackout. But I have, I will admit though, my new, my new thing, like after UW lost to Michigan, is to just, I swear, I'm the saddest. It's just, hello, darkness, my old friend. And I'm just doom scrolling, you know, <laughs> on, on Twitter and just looking at, and there's Harbaugh being happy. <laughs> Kalen DeBoer is going to Alabama, you know, just sad. And I, I pictured Bills fans doing the same thing, but I do think, okay, this is the, the, the true, true, okay? This is the true, true. Everybody, all right? Is we're all in a safe space? I think deep down, as bad as I, so I felt bad for Bills fans, and I do, and I'm going to talk about how much, like, I, I, I think everybody genuinely does love Bills fans, right? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't? Seeing them welcome, and I know it's Jason Kelsey, the, the people's athlete, impossible to hate but seeing them welcome him into the the tailgate the way they treat him there the way that they celebrate that team the way they care about that team right where there's no this is nothing no offense no offense this isn't carolina hurricanes yeah this is this is buffalo bills football this is if you're talking about fan bases that truly care about their team where it's this is the identity of the city this is just you know I'm going to a, a wedding in Newfoundland this summer and they're shutting down the town for, because it's a small little Newfoundland community and that's, but that's the Buffalo bills. That's Buffalo, right? It shut the city down. The bills are playing. It's the bills are meaningful game. This isn't like, Oh, did you see the game? Or are you aware? Yeah, I'm aware. Everybody's aware. I love that fan base, but the true, true is I think all of us that are sports fans, there's very few of us that are chiefs fans, Right. There's very few of us that are Patriots fans. And what's the saying? Misery loves company. And I think deep down, we see that and we're like, no, why couldn't they get one? But then we go, oh, there's someone out there worse than us. <laughs> you know? Hey, I'm not the, you know, when you're coming out of university and you have your one, you're poor and you have your other poor friend. Yeah. You're like, you want that friend. You would love to see your friend have success. There's no question, right? Of course. Who wouldn't? But it's kind of nice having your friend who's a little poorer than you, yeah. right? Could be worse. Could be Jonesy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, um, at least. All right. How bad can I be doing if I'm doing better than him and he's doing it? <laughs> he's getting by, right? That's sort of the Bills fans. They're, they're just, there are teams that have it worse, right? Like you could say in terms of success, and I know the Bills, this long stretch without playoffs and all this stuff, but I think that there's a, there's a few teams like the Browns, right? You have your claim to be in the most tortured fan base. The Leafs, obviously, Leafs fans, I, I get it. 
the Lions, up until my Lions just started to turn yeah. into it, they, they turned the key. They said, oh, it's time. It's time to be a dynasty. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I'm so ready for it. God, I'm telling you, uh, this affair I have with the Lions, it's, it's really threatening. Sorted affair. It might yeah. last forever. You know how they would, you, you'd always say, hey, you, it's, if you got cheated on on a one-off, it would be bad. But it's if there was an emotional connection, you know, it's almost worse if they're texting every day. Yeah, yeah, it's getting emotional. That's that's what it is. It was like I was just having hookups with the Lions, and now it's just like there's a little bit too much texting yeah. happening between the parties. It's Daily just, texts. It's getting yeah, yeah. to be a little too friendly. <laughs> is that the Lions again? That's yeah. the Seahawks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... It's, uh, it's, it's, it's nothing. Uh, I just I, know them from work. I'll it's answer, okay. Yeah, I'll answer it tomorrow. I'll answer it tomorrow. So, hold on, actually, just let me give a quick text right now. <laughs> Just let them know that I'm I'm shutting my phone off. They get weird when they don't know that I'm shutting the phone off. But the Bills are the to me the number one. Just rip your heart out and hold it in front of Bills fans' faces and being like, "Look at that! Look, hey, hey!" Because it's not. I don't think that the field goal. If you miss a field goal, it's bad. It's a bad way to lose. But almost every other fan base is immediately in that spot going. Mahomes clearly would have driven it down the field, mm. but they get the wide right, and then everyone makes Norwood jokes oh, yeah. for 24 hours. And it's just, it, you have to hear that, right? And it sparks that fan trauma, and you go, oh my God, these guys again? And it's just, it's Patrick Mahomes for the third time in the playoffs, by the way. Third. How did Patrick Mahomes arrive in Kansas City, you might ask? Well, you know, the Chiefs traded up to get him. Who'd they trade with? The Buffalo Bills. Just knowing that you're a Bills fan and you're watching this and you did this to yourselves. You gave them that pick. You let them go up there. And what's crazy is that it was a great trade for the Bills. They got mm-hmm. Trey White out of it. They got Deion Dawkins out of it. Oh, actually less good because of what he said yesterday. He went, Pat Mahomes has never been to Bills Stadium in full. The environment will be different. So good luck, end quote. Patrick Mahomes tweeted after the game, good luck, good luck with yeah. a clock and went, Dion, why? <laughs> why? Why? Because I think a reasonable person would have looked at that game and said, man, the Bills, I'm sorry, you got outplayed, right? It was a fumble outside of the end zone. Mm-hmm. It was a bat by, I think it was Kincaid or Knox, one of the two tight ends where it's a scoop and I a score off King- of the, the, the Allen fumble. fumble. Yeah, I think it it's Josh Kincaid. Allen rolling out on third down and finding Shakir for a touchdown late in the game in the corner. That's just a, a brilliant catch, a brilliant play. Everything, the margins for the Bills in that game were... Razor thin. Yeah, and yeah. the first half they, they did, they felt dominant, but the second half really did feel like it started to turn the tide for the Chiefs. And then again, Mahomes was going to get the ball back with just a little under two minutes and timeouts. But the, it's the way you lose constantly. And seeing those fans crying in the stands, I went, God, that sucks. But I did have that feeling of, hey, could be worse. I could also be a Buffalo Bills fan, and that is that is what just makes them different. Oof. Anyway, um, the Leafs won. <laughs> I'll do more of this Bills game with Brady Quinn because I have some thoughts on the... Everybody likes to do the blame game when this happens, so there's definitely some blame game that's going to happen with Brady Quinn later. I, I have a very, 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 very strong belief that the Bills actually didn't have the most... They had the most heartbreaking loss of the weekend because of who they are mm-hmm. and where their team is at. But in terms of... Actual bad beats. Theirs, theirs was not the worst. Um, that's later with Brady Quinn. But for now, uh, Leafs win. Samsonov got the belt last night, by the way. Hey. Yeah. Nice. So he's back. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, now, two games until the NHL All-Star break. And finally, the Leafs get off the West Coast road trip. Uh, James Myrtle, senior managing editor at The Athletic. What's up, brother? How are we doing? Hey, JD. Hey, what's up? Man? How's it going? It's going good. It's going good. That was a long... That was, a, that was just work this weekend. I, I feel like I literally slept at work. <laughs> well, you got to fit in all that football too, right? Yeah, well, that's it. That's what people don't get here is I, I, I did the UFC, right? I'm, I'm doing UFC. I do football. I'm watching the Raptors game on tape. I'm watching these two Leaf games. I'm working late. And does the company say, hey, this guy is our UFC guy. We're going to send him down to the event. No, they send everybody else. They're like, yeah, everybody else. Here, look, the uh, cage side seats. JD, you keep working. You keep working, and we'll uh, we'll send everybody else. Not you, not me. God forbid. Anyways, uh, yeah, Leafs. It was. Eh, I don't even know what to say about this one. Like, the. the you guy, know what? I, I I think the way to do it, JD, is to look at the road trip as a whole, as opposed to like the one win over a Seattle team missing seven guys. Mm, yeah. Well, that was. Now they're 20th point in 20 games is the way that I'm looking at it. It's 20 points in 20 games. And the entire talk heading into this one, and well, pretty much every game for the last week has been, if they lose in embarrassing fashion, is this going to be it for Keefe? Is this going to be it for Keefe? What, what is your read? What, what are you hearing about the actual status of his job security? Because I, I feel like they got out of this with just enough where now two games ahead of NHL All-Star He's given himself at least a little bit of breathing room. I, I don't know. What's, what's your actual information on it, though? What's your actual feel? I still don't think it's as close as kind of the rumor mill is saying it is. Like, we're not – there's no one – there's no one around the team. There's no – none of the insiders are hinting that, that I've seen. I haven't heard anything to that effect. I mean, people need to realize, like, they gave him the extension in the offseason. It was two more years beyond this season. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a token – one-year extension, don't want you to be a lame duck. They give him two more years. So to then, I think it would be a tough sell to go to the board and say, we just gave this guy a two-year extension and we want him gone now. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to have to get a lot uglier than this. I think they're going to have to be out of a playoff spot, and I think they're going to have to lose more games. You know, but you say a lot uglier than this. It's like, this could have been very, very ugly, right? This this is a, like, if that hand pass doesn't get called and it's a 4-4 <laughs> game against Calgary, and they would have only gotten that one win against that Kraken team who, yeah, didn't have any players on the roster. And then you're showing up against Winnipeg in a back-to-back set. I, I don't know. I feel like you're, you're pretty damn close to as ugly as it gets. They, they, that's what I'm saying. They did just enough to make it not obvious that this was the only move that they could make. I still feel like they got to try and change the roster around. I think they got to shuttle out some guys that, that are struggling, but maybe that's too hard to do. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's just the log jam around the league's not allowing them to do that. And that's, that's where, you know, if they continue to muddle along and they're in eighth in the conference in the second wild card spot, or they're, they're out of a playoff spot in another, I don't know. They're probably going to give it another few weeks is my guess. Yeah. I think you're right with all-star that he's going to get the, obviously he gets the two games against Winnipeg. Yeah. Maybe they win one of those. Maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe, yeah. hey, maybe they get yeah. one. Maybe, maybe they get a split. That's the way they're looking at this thing. Um, yeah, it just, he, here's my feeling on it. Uh, and this has remained the same. I understand what they did. I genuinely don't believe Keith is some kind of, I don't think that he's quote unquote lost the room, right? You just, you saw the effort that his team gave 
yesterday. I thought that they were poorly prepared to start the game on Saturday. But again, to me, that's still more on the players because I'm sure it was told to them, hey, Vancouver cares about this game and we haven't won here since 2019 and we never actually win here because they're fired up for it and they sort of started slow. It killed them. It cost them. It bit them in the ass. But... I keep thinking, I keep hearing that same thing of, well, you got to change the roster. And I go, well, what, what's going to change? When you said it, the logjam around the league, who, who is going to get moved off of this Leafs team as of right now, right? Who, what's, what's the piece that you move? And what are you bringing in? Because you don't, have a, you don't have a deep stable of assets. I don't see a lot of teams looking to move certain players right now. We're, what, we're a month more? We're more than a month removed from the deadline. I think it's like a month and a half. It's March 9th, right? Eighth, yeah. Yeah, March 8th, yeah. Well, I was close. I was damn close for a guy off the top of my head. You know, it's pretty damn good. Pretty good. Uh, We're a month away, month and a half away from this thing. What's going to, how could you trust that coach to put the player in a position that you expect them to? Because the one thing about this team is, like, Domi played 10 minutes again last night, right? Robertson played nine minutes again last night. And I defended Keith last night on Leafs talk because I said, hey, he's coaching for his life here. He needs to get that W. He needs to make sure that his top guys are out there. But if you're tree living and you're looking at the, the track record that you have of guys you've brought in and the way that these guys have been deployed, how do you just automatically assume that they're going to be on the same page with whoever it is that they're going to end up trading for? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, that's going to have to be a conversation between the coach and the GM over mm. what what this team needs to. You know, I, I'm sympathetic to the argument from the fan base right now that even if you do make one or two changes, or even if you do, which I don't think they're going to do, even if they do trade a first round pick and bring in a Chris Tanev, is that enough to fix what's wrong? Oh, no. And there, no, I mean the answer has to be no. I mean, look, they they finished fourth in the league last year. Look how far they have fallen. And it's not just, they didn't have a good offseason. They made mistakes. You know, we we don't need to go through that and litigate all that again. But look at all the pieces that were here last year that have fallen off mm. that they couldn't have anticipated. I mean, that's the big, that's the big concern. And that's, that's why, that's part of why there are so many things wrong. It's not just that all the new guys they brought in, or almost all the new guys, I shouldn't say all of them because Jones and Benoit and some of them have played well. Most of the new additions have not worked out. But then you look at the year that Tavares is having, you look at the year that Brody's having, you look at the year that Samsonov's having. Mm. They have all of these key, Camp is another one, all these key core veterans that they're committed to that had way better years the last two years that just aren't playing well right now. Mm-hmm. And it's all through the lineup. That Vancouver game, when Matthews was on the ice, they were all over them. They were dominating them. When Matthews wasn't on the ice, they lost the game. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what this team is. It feels like it is right now. If if Tavares Tavares I think has one five on five goal in was it twenty three, twenty four games. He doesn't have a point in I think I believe eight games now. Like, that's your second line. And it's an expensive second line and it's not giving you enough. Mm-hmm. Totally and you agree. don't want to put, you don't want to play the third line with Domi and Robertson or whoever else is with Domi, and the fourth line with Camp is getting hemmed in every night. They're they're a one line team. They're they are what the record says they are. They are they are a middle of the pack team right now. Yeah, they're a one line team, but there's only two players on the one line because they can't figure <laughs> out what's going on with the left winger there. Right? They're just they they keep cycling through different options and nobody can stick. It's tonight it's Pontus Holmberg. Tonight it's uh, Matthew Nyes again. Even though. Yeah, Matthew Nyes looks like he's clearly hitting a bit of a rookie wall. He needs that break. Um, yeah, I, I don't blame him because of his age and the expectation and 
just the the lack of time in the AHL, all of it. It's just he's in an impossible spot. But I was thinking about this last night. I didn't want to pitch it to you. I've got, if you're going to be this team, right, where you're only one line and it's two players, and you're not going to trust your third line anyways, and the third line isn't even the third line, right? It's, they, they, they just have two fourth lines, essentially, the way that they deploy them because they're both getting 10 minutes, and every night you look and it says some variance between, hey, one guy got nine, and then there's up to 11-something, and that's it, and then the stars get their minutes, right? It's just, it's the easiest thing to do. I don't even know why I look at the ice times before I do Leafs talks anymore. Because I, I know what they are. I know what they're going to be. And you saw it again yesterday. Why not see, because if, if I'm tree living and I know that GMs, they don't want to tell the coach what to do. They want to try to keep separation of church and state. But if I'm the rest of Keith's coaching staff, someone has to step up here and say, and stop being just a complete yes man and go, all right, dude, you might be a good coach, but you've clearly got a blind spot here with just playing the stars and deploying everybody the same way and expecting different results. That's the thing that's bothering me right now is you go, what, what do you expect is going to change, Sheldon? Like, what, what do you think is going to – all of a sudden you're going to trust the Domi line if you keep calling them out in the media and saying you don't trust them? Like, is that going to do it? Because it, it's not working right now. And even when those guys have had some nice games or some nice moments, you look down at the score sheet and it's still the same ice time. So why not do this? Domi, Matthews, Marner, Bertuzzi, Tavares, Nylander, Gregor, Camp, Yarncroft, and then just basically have a fourth line where I don't want to say you're punting, but Nyes, Holmberg, McMahon. Yeah, I mean, I... I... <laughs> he needs a checking line. He, that's the thing. He's always yes. liked having that checking line. So uh, you paid Camp to be a checking line center. Let him be the checking line center. And people will bitch and moan about the way Domi plays defense. It's just, it's going to be that way. That's always who he was. Give him some more responsibility. He was fine in Dallas playing with, with good players. So put him out. Let him be protected by Matthews and Marner, but try to get a little bit more from him and then start to say to all of your team, hey, you're all important. We're trying to figure something else new because, again, the way that it's going right now, it doesn't make any sense to me that something is going to materially change with the group when it's the exact same formation and the exact same formula minutes-wise every single night. Yeah, no, I'm, that's all fair. I don't know if Domi up on the top line is necessarily... I mean, just with the number of minutes that they would need him to play, I think that that's... And, and the and the competition that he's going to be against, especially on the road, I I, I put the chance of that as very very low from Keith. But at at minimum, I mean, why not? I thought when they signed Domi, what they were going to do is they were going to create a really sheltered offense first line. Hard to create and, offense when you're getting nine minutes a night. Yeah, but I, I think probably trying him with Tavares again is probably the the place to be. I mean, huh, it can't get any it can't get any worse for Tavares right now. So, mm. I mean, I the the guy who's going to probably work the best with Matthews and Marner is the one who played well there last year, which is Yarncroc. But it's kind of weird. He's he's using Yarncroc as kind of like a safety net for Domi, who barely plays. It feels like I don't know. It feels like he just. Go go back to what worked last year. Mm-hmm. Does does that make sense? I mean, and then shelter the Tavares line as heavily as you buy. I know they're they're already sheltered, and then try and create something down the lineup. But the problem is they don't have enough pieces. If you move Yarncroc up the lineup, they don't have enough pieces in the bottom six to do anything with it. Like that's it. I, I think you know, you he almost be punting on two lines down there. Yeah, yeah. no, give him yeah. the checking line. Give him the traditional checking line. This has been a key staple from the very beginning. And remember when Hyman was getting moved down that one year, and it was. I think that was Sheldon Keith's first full season was coming into training camp. They were going, Hyman's going to go down to the third line and it didn't end up sticking, 
But that was one of his points of emphasis that year. It was, well, I want to have a traditional checking line and I trust this guy to do this job extremely well. Kind of a kind of a troubling sign, actually, that he even wanted to do that. Sort of like like PJ Carlissimo wanted to play Kevin Durant as a point guard. I'm like, mm, that's probably not a good sign that you thought that as a coach, considering how good Hyman is. But either way, he wants to have a group that he can rely on. And he keeps saying that he said that thing about the trust. And I went, okay, well then, A, you've got to either let a guy try to earn trust because it's not enough. It's just not enough of a sample size for some guys to do it. Like if my bosses told me that, they went, okay, you got to go, you got to go prove to us that the show can get better. But then they said, you know, you're only doing a 15 minute show. I would say, okay, what do you, what do you want me to do with this? How, how do you want me to prove to you that I can do this job better? That's the way I'd be feeling if I'm these other guys. And then to them, I would just be putting them in better positions to succeed saying, okay, Domi, you're an offensive guy. You need to be playing with offensive players. Okay. Yeah. Camp, you need to be playing with defensive guys and you need to have a complete role where they're deciding you're getting in regular ice time and you guys are trying to, yeah, create an actual identity for your group. Cause that's just it. It's like, I don't feel like any of these lines have an identity outside of Matthews Marner where just it's the two of them are dominant together. Right. Like that's just it to me. I kind of feel like no line juggling at this point is going to solve where they're at. Well, this is the other problem, James. (laughs) Like, we keep doing the whole, well, go get a defenseman, go get a defenseman, go get a defenseman. And I'm watching them saying, well, there's a case where they might need a goalie. At least Samsonov played better and Wolves coming back, but they might need a goalie. You probably want to have a depth center. You'd love to have someone else that could play on the wing with Marner and Matthews. You'd love to have a defenseman, maybe even two. It's just, it's, it's a long shopping list for a team that doesn't have all of their picks and has two prospects of note and little else. They have as many holes as they've had in a long time. I mean, that 2019, 20 season feels like when they had Barry and Cody CC and all, all kinds of, it, it, this year feels like that, except that, I mean, the, the bizarre thing with this team is that their best players on pace for 70 goals. Neilanders having a career year on pace for more than a hundred points. And they're still this bad. But both those guys are, you look at Matthews only had 40 goals last year. You look how much better Matthews and Neilander are, and they're still way down from where they were last year. And it's, it's almost all on the defensive end and what they're giving up. The chances against have skyrocketed for this team. And the, and the blue line's not that much different than last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, there's some, there's some bizarre stuff happening with this, this team right now. Well, I don't want to get into this, but cause I'm going to move off of it, but it's, it's just, it, it is kind of funny to me that we talk about, Oh, there's some misses. There's some misses. And you go, yeah, that's the margins that you're working within when this yeah. is the way you build a team is it forces you to go bargain shopping. And if you don't hit on all of the bargains, people go, well, the team is so thin. You say, yeah, but look at this formula. We can keep doing this dance about how the top four guys get X amount of points. And I'll just say even the top three, because Tavares is clearly not in that top four anymore. It's, it, it's a problem that he's making as much as he's making. And he's clearly looking as though maybe age is getting to him. But I know there's some luck statistics with this and there's slot chances or time that he's spending in there. And uh, yeah, I, there's, there's a sort of mitigating factors, power play point stuff. Sure, sure, sure. But ultimately it's like, yeah, what we're talking about here is, this is almost proof of concept that your formula doesn't work when your three stars are producing at astronomical rates and yet the roster is <laughs> struggling to stay above 500. Anyway, um, you think that the Leafs 
would have even had a conversation about Roy? Uh, no. I don't, I don't. It, his just, last, it, it was interesting his last timing, tenure, right? It was interesting his, timing with it, Keith being on the hot seat and then all of a sudden Lou Lamorello, their former GM, was like, oh, we're going to go out and get the most attractive coach on the on the block. I didn't hear a lot of talk about Patrick Waugh. I mean, there was with the Columbus job that Babcock ended up getting in the offseason. Like, he, he interviewed there and there was talk around him then. I think Patrick Waugh, his last go-around with Colorado kind of scared almost everybody off of ever hiring him again just with kind of the battling with the front office and it did not end well for him. I believe his first year he wins a Jack Adams and the next two years were a disaster and he leaves in the middle of the season. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and that's quite a while ago. That's eight, nine years ago and he hasn't gotten a sniff. Um, I think that's, that's one of those like hail, hail Mary throws that Lou is known for, for throwing and I saw that on Saturday and I was like, Oh, here we go. This is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. And while you were watching your football, I had to watch the Islanders play last night. So that was, <laughs> that it came was, back. That was, it was a good game. Yeah. It was a good game. I didn't see yeah. it. I just, I just saw that they came back and I was like, Oh, stars up to one. Well, big change. And then boom, uh, all of a sudden the Isles, uh, the coaching change, dead coach bounce. And all of a sudden everybody, I saw all over Whoa, hockey Twitter yeah. that they played tough and that they were looking awesome. I went, Oh, you know, that's, it can work. It's a big change. It's a big personality change. Like Lane Lambert, I don't know if you know him that well. He's not a very big personality. And Mm -hmm. they had, I was watching the MSG feed and they had a camera, they had like split screen and one camera was just on Patrick Waugh on the bench, you know, and and he was kind of, he was putting his arm around guys and he was, honeymoon he was, he was, he was, yeah, he was, he was, he was pushing some buttons for sure. And uh, you can tell he's very fired up. I mean, one of the most competitive guys that ever played and he's bringing that there. So the Eastern conference, the Islanders all of a sudden figure some things out. Eastern conference gets even more interesting here. Yeah. See that that's the thing to me when you go with the, the hard ass coach and you're trying to do the culture shift. I do think it's going to be this. This isn't really something I plan on talking about today, but I've, I've been thinking about this for a while. I think it's going to be hard in the future to be John Tortorella, right? like the the hard coach on this generation of player and the way that things are changing without having an immense amount of pedigree. And and I don't know how you're going to survive long enough in modern sports culture to just become renowned as that type of a coach. But what you can still be is the guy who has all the accomplishments on the ice or in the field that you are coaching, right? You're a basketball coach, football coach, whatever. You're going to have to have that laundry list of a kid who is... 23 years old knows who you are and is very familiar with who you are and the successes that you've had as a winner. And, and I kind of think like the modern day, that's what you're going to need. And that's why I like Raw actually as this coach, I, I get what you're saying about the Colorado thing. I think a lot of people thought maybe he was done when that happened and he would just be with the REM parts for the rest of eternity. But I don't know. I, I got a good feeling about that hire for them because of that. I totally agree. Yeah. And you're right. If all of a sudden the Islanders catch fire and you look at what's happening in Edmonton, there's going to be, it doesn't have anything really to do with what's going on here, but people are going to point to that for sure. If the Leafs keep muddling along here, because it works, mm-hmm. it works a lot of the time it works. And I don't know if this team needs a hard ass. Everyone's talking about Craig Berube. I don't know if they need someone to come in here and yell at them if that's going to work or not, but at some point they're going to have to try something. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't mind a hard ass just because that's the way these things go is, 
even though Keefe has been that recently, like, again, he's yelling at guys on the bench to get off the ice. He's calling players out in the media saying he doesn't trust them. I don't know how much harder you want somebody to be on the players than that, right? Especially publicly that, like, you can see. Who knows? Sheldon Keefe's not exactly Mr. Rainbows and Sunshine. (laughs) No, he's not. not. Yeah, exactly. So, but I think that Leaf fans know that now. Um, So the the whole hard line thing to me is not so much about... uh, Hey, someone who's going to really press these guys and force them to do something. I think again, it's it's more. Hey, uh, someone that the bottom six guys feel like they can trust more and is more invested in them. Because the scary thing is, and I pointed this at the very beginning of the season when they were signing these guys, it just it's the mercenary squad. You don't have who's invested in seeing this team succeed. Who's all that invested in making sure that they're going to do blood, sweat, and tears through a regular season? When you're trying to get your next contract and that's probably weighing on you, the more you don't play, that coach is doing it to you. You can't figure out what exactly he wants. You don't feel like you're getting enough opportunity. At at some point to me, that's the only, that's the smarter move to play. And that's why I bring up the Domi stuff. I think that's a smarter move for Keith to do right now and try to play the long game. And the fact that he keeps doing this makes me feel like he's playing the short game, which is a read on him not feeling overly secure about him staying in this role for too long. Anyway, um, they're struggling on the left wing. I said it. They've got addition after addition when it comes to who gets to play on the top grouping. Uh, I don't know. You can tell me if you feel differently about Nyes, but I think that he's really struggled lately. Robertson got in yesterday, but he's an eight to nine minute player. That's what Keefe will give him even on a night where he scores a goal against a bad team. Um, Bertuzzi has been disappointing, but I don't think that you're really going to move him off that line. I, I don't know. He just kind of feels stapled to there. What was your understanding of whether they even we're willing to consider signing Corey Perry. Mm, I, I never heard. Yeah. I, I don't think he wanted to be here. You think it was him? Well, because yeah, I think it was mute. I, I think it was probably mutual, but I don't, I don't think he was crazy about coming here. Okay. Cause to me, I thought it was the other way around. I thought it was not even a starter for this team. Yeah, well, I mean, it didn't. It wasn't exactly rainbows in Chicago. So, mm-hmm. and I mean, Corey Perry, it it it's kind of like the Joe Thornton thing. Like he's not he's not the Corey Perry of even two or three years ago. People said that know? about Evander Kane too. Yeah, they said Evander Kane is not Edmonton the same guy. Again. That's what I'm saying. Is yeah. it looks like a team that really wants to win. And they trust that their culture set by their top player is going to get guys in line. And it really has worked with Kane. Yeah, I, I, I can see it. I just, again, I feel like the Leafs need more than a guy who's going to be 38 years old playing on the fourth line. Who and since that's where it stops. Why wouldn't you just want to add a player? Like, well, I don't understand how a team like this that's so thin when it comes to their forward grouping that looks down at their AHL roster and says, what happens if we have an injury? And you go, ah... Uh, Boy, uh, uh, yeah. who's down here? I do know Steve's? Edmonton. Edmonton was apparently like right at the front of the line. Like they were, they were banging the door down to make fine. this happen. Fine, but that's what I want to hear about the Leafs. Like I, no, I know. No one thinks that it's like, a there's a contract there. That yeah, yeah. There's a contract like Edmonton for sure. For sure, wanted them right away, and there were a bunch of other teams that were like, I don't know, and you know, so. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that the Leafs were, I don't think that they were heavily invested in getting him here. Yeah. All which is interesting because like, I feel like they, they could use any kind of a change right now. 
that's my point here is that I, I just don't get how a team that is an injury away from putting Ryan Reeves back in the lineup <laughs> is picking and choosing which guys, especially guys with the pedigree of Corey Perry, the ability of Corey Perry, the style of Corey Perry, that they're not one of the banging down the door teams, that they're not going, we want you here. We need you here. And I don't think that he's a fix-all. I don't think that Corey Perry comes in and sets the culture of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I understand why he wouldn't want to be here, especially considering it's going to be, it would be loud if Corey Perry signed in Toronto. I think that they would move past it. I, I really do believe that it's just like most things, social media is going to be harsh for a week. It's going to be harsh for, less harsh for on the day 10. You start to acclimate yourself with the teammates. You say that, what you put the thing behind you, you're looking for another opportunity that you got a long track record in the league. If you have a little success, boom, everything goes away. If it, if it works out poorly, then everybody brings it up longer and longer and longer. But the, the greater point here is that you're, we're illustrating that there's a long shopping list for this team. And I, I think it's going to be curious to see if they do head into a deadline, grabbing a depth forward, right? What is that going to cost you? And do you really think that that depth forward is going to end up being better than Corey Perry? Because history suggests they will not be. Yeah, no, I mean, it's an interesting question. I just, I got to be honest, I, I, I wonder if they, if there was any kicking tires or thinking about it in the off season and it was a no, and then that made it kind of a moot point this time around. Again, I don't know that. That's just, that's, that's a theory that I have. I'll tell you what, I much prefer that theory to we didn't want the optics of it. Well, that, that wouldn't surprise me either. I know. And that's the scary part. Because hearing, hey, there wasn't even really an option for him to be there, that the Leafs weren't even one of the teams in the running, I'm good with that if that's Corey Perry saying, I don't want to be there. I'm less good with that if that's the Leafs going, yeah, we just don't want to deal with the PR when you... Wh- what do you think their paid PR staff is compared to the other teams in the NHL? <laughs> like, do, make the, it Leafs, the Leafs has an army, that's yeah, for sure. That's it. Yeah. Make it work. Make it, make it work. I'm pretty sure that this fan base would have tolerated... Like, again, there would be some people on Twitter. There's probably some people tweeting at me right now angry about it. I think that that is the vocal, 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 minority, 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 minority. Like, that is less than 1% of the fan base that I think would have been completely apoplectic if this thing happens. Anyways, um, speaking of Ryan Reeves, he gave a quote to our boy Luke Fox. Uh, quote, yeah, I've been ready for a couple weeks now. Uh, why he's not playing? Quote, that's a question for them. I'm not in those rooms, in those conversations. I'm not going to speculate anything. Just stay ready, and if called upon, I do. If I don't, I get my work in. Uh, there's more here, but yeah. Um, is this, that feels like the first in a, do you think this guy's okay? We thought he was going to be all right just riding the pine. That doesn't feel like a guy who's all right just staying in the shadows and not being on the team and not being on the ice. No, no. But, I mean, we've, we've heard, you know, like Wayne, Wayne Simmons, uh, we've heard this from players. I, I think it's. I think what that is is that's the beginning of the divorce happening, and you know the, I, it, the Leafs are going to need, assuming that they're they're looking to upgrade at the deadline, they're going to need all the cap space they can get when when Wall gets back, and if they're carrying three goalies, et cetera, et cetera. Wh- why not just put Reeves on waivers? See if anyone wants that contract. If not, you can send them up and down. I mean, in what, in what scenario do you want him back in the lineup right now? The team is struggling. Like they don't, they don't need another anchor on the fourth line. It's the last thing they need. Yeah. So they can't play him. So you might as well wave him. See if someone takes that contract. If not, you get a little bit of cap space. Mm. Maybe you try and 
push them out the door in, in a trade that you make. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I feel like even though you can bury the contract after last year, it's a negative asset. Like if you're a team and you're taking them on, you're, you're not given anything and you're not, uh, you're not taking, I don't think that contract or that money for free. No. So no. there you go. That's yeah. Put them on waivers. I, I, I think the only reason you don't do that is because you don't want to embarrass the player. Yeah, but it, it, the push could come to shove here where they do need the, the, the cap space as, as, as little as it is mm-hmm. when they get a little bit healthier here. I could, I could certainly see that. I mean, if he's not playing, you might as well. Mm-hmm. And I think you're, I, you're right. Like no one's probably going to want him, but I, I mean, I was surprised someone signed him this year. You know, he's one of those guys that has hung on and, and has found a suitor. You know, the, the Rangers had a really tough start with him last year and they found somewhere to trade him to in Minnesota, you know, and, and the wild were willing to offer him another contract in the off season. So you never know. There might be, maybe there's a team at the bottom of the standings that, that wants someone to help them with the culture change. And that's a team that's, that's interested. That'd be great. <laughs> you, you don't know until you push the waivers button, yeah. but I, it wouldn't surprise me if those comments lead to a conversation with the front office mm-hmm. and they come up with some arrangement. Yeah. I, I just, for, for me, the only reason that it was a little scary is the Leafs are in a, in a tough media cycle right now. And, and they're, they don't like the media stuff. We've, we've talked about this, you and I, many, many, many times. It affects them. They, they don't like it. They make a big deal of it. They make a big show of it. And so while they're going through this, when people are saying, is Sheldon Keefe safe? And are they getting enough from the players that Tree Living signed? And what needs to change with this group? And are they getting some goaltending? And that's it. Samson, that's Byron seeing yesterday. I think there's a little bit of sparkle there. I think he's going to start Wednesday night. You can tell me if I'm wrong. But I, I think Reeves doing this at this time after they handed him that contract, you know, three years. And I'm sure promises were made and he wants to play, blah, blah, blah. But for him to go and give that quote at this time is... A tough that's a that's a really tough look and it's especially a tough look for tree living who brought this guy in because he was supposed to help with the culture and he was supposed to be the the quote machine from the dressing room but that was when they were supposed to be playing and that was supposed to be when he was playing good not when things are going poorly yeah i mean i i agree with all of that that's what i said i this feels like the beginning of mm. you know the, the player saying i'm not happy right and the team is going to respond and say you know, so what? And then typically when you see something like this, when you see a player speak out, mm-hmm. it's the beginning of some kind of a negotiation where the agent says, we want out of here. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I, I I don't know if like with the three years though, like yeah. if it was a one year deal and the deal was up, it'd be, he'd be easy to move. But, yeah, but that's what I don't get about him speaking out like this. I, I, I understand he's frustrated as a player and that he's trying to move the needle. And maybe he does think that this is going to move him somewhere else. But when you sign a three year contract with the team, I would have thought that, some of that comes with, hey, you really got to be bought in. You really got to be like the, the consummate pro team player because we all thought that it had a very likely chance of being buried in the minors the final two years of that contract anyway, right? Like this was supposed to be a one-year deal like that looked like a three-year deal. Would you not agree? Uh, I think the Leafs were open two years okay. that looked like a three, but yeah. Okay, yeah. There's some belief that he, wa- he wasn't going to spend all three years here getting to play top-line minutes. This was supposed to be, hey, you're the enforcer of the team, you're the good guy in the dressing room, but if push comes to shove and this has to go some way, you- you're not, you- there's very likely chance that you-, you can't play. You're this old and this is the way it's going. Just- I'm shocked to see it start to turn like this. I never, here's, what I- here's the way I'll wrap it up. I didn't think the contract could get any worse, and yet here we are. 
Well, the good news is you wave them and you send them down, only 200K of it counts against the cap, which is almost nothing. So you can that's bury nice. almost the whole thing. And I, I, at some point, that's going to happen. Mm. Uh, last one. You think Samsonov starts on Wednesday? I don't know. I mean, Jones has been struggling. I don't I don't know. That's a tough one. My guess is they're they're wrestling with that. I'm going to say I think so just because they want to get him back right and if he plays well, then that's going to be a real feather in his cap against that team. Mm. Um you know, and I think you know what Jones is. I mean, it's they they were playing with house money there. Like he he played really, really well there, but it wasn't going to continue. And I think what you saw in the Vancouver game is more what Martin Jones is. And with the way this team's playing defensively, I don't know. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you, you know, your criticisms of Keefe are kind of playing everything safe. And I think probably the really safe play would probably be to play Jones. Yeah, I think but I'm so not too. sure that that makes sense right now. I mean, they they need to know what Samson like. Is Samson a factor in their season at all, or not? They That's need it. to get that figured out. That's it. I I think that even though it's very small, it's a small sample of these last two Samsonov games. He's looked good, and last night he looked better than a guy who only made 16 saves. Uh, it was pointed out to me from Petrelli last night on Leafs Talk that they they had nine high danger opportunities in that game, and so he let one of them in made eight high danger saves. And that's mm-hmm. actually what he was good at last year, right? He was, uh, I remember talking about this with Kevin Woodley, gave in a softy far too often, wasn't good enough from the perimeters, wasn't even as good as uh, Matt Murray was when he was in net for the Leafs last year. But what he was very good at was making the spectacular saves. And if you look at what the Leafs are giving up right now and the way that they've played with transition and in their own end, I think you want to try to find the guy that can bail you out once in a while. This this is no longer the team we thought they were, which was, hey, don't worry. Everything's going to be out the outside perimeter. Just make the easy saves. You might have to have a guy steal you one uh, game or two here. And during this stretch of play, I would I would roll the dice and, and play him Wednesday night. I can't believe I'm saying it because I genuinely did a farewell Samsonov show <laughs> when I first came back. I thought it was completely over. But yeah, I, I think it would be a mistake not to play him on Wednesday night. And even if it backfires, I would say, hey, at least you were looking for a spark right now. You were looking for a change of pace. You thought that there was something with him. He got the belt. Try to build up his confidence. I just feel like that the ceiling with him is obviously so much higher than it is with Jones. So try to get him right. This is a good spot to do it. You only have two games until the All-Star break. You're splitting between these two goalies anyway, right? I would give one to Samsonov, one to Jones, but give Samsonov the one right after and say, hey, we're rewarding your good play and we still believe in you. If it's a confidence thing, it's a psyche thing. If they really do believe that, then how could you not say that showing confidence to somebody is going to help them play the position? It it just, it's backwards to me if if they don't end up doing it. Yep, I agree with that. And I mean... You, you you want to know when Wall gets back what what's going on? Like what do you have in the? Because if Samsonov can't play, if they're if he's if he's going on waivers again and going back down, you might have to think about adding a goalie. Mm-hmm. So you need to know if if that's part of the equation or not. Yeah, according, and the only way you do that is if Samsonov plays a little bit here. Yeah, agree. And again, according to Elliot Friedman, the Leafs looked at a goalie, but prices were too high. And yeah, yeah. I, I think that with Martin Jones. Some of this is just him coming back down to earth and showing who he is at this stage of his career, which was a guy that was a third string goalie entering the season. But part of it might even be that, yeah, he's getting a little run down. Um, anyway, James Myrtle, senior managing editor at The Athletic. Thanks as always, buddy. Yeah, thanks, JD. See you, pal. Um, 
I know how this goes in terms of the market where people go, it's, they won. Be positive, be positive, be positive. It's positive that they won the game yesterday. They needed that game on Sunday night. There's a bit of breathing room here. It's, it's going to be really, really tough going into All-Star Week in Toronto if they lose these two games back-to-back and there's noise coming from within their dressing room about guys wanting out. There's noise outside of it saying guys like guys like me creating it, saying some guys aren't playing enough or being deployed or being given a chance. Sneaky, not sneaky, huge couple of games, but sneaky, just important spot for a couple of these dudes to to show a little bit of something. And it's going to be a, a stretch. Remember, I just said it. It's a month and a half away from the trade deadline. And we just did this with the month before, right? Is you can see how much the narratives change month to month when it comes to the trade deadline stuff. We were, a month ago, it was, God, if you could just add Tanev and Zadorov, you're set. You're totally fine. And now it feels like, mm, they got a lot of shopping to do. But that point about Samsonov where he just, you know, James said it, you need to find out what he is before Wool comes back. I think to me, that's the major storyline now for the last month heading into the deadline. And that's why I'm saying... I hope Sheldon Keefe tries to shake it up a little bit different rather than just the one-off of juggling the lines in a home game and then going right back to it, knowing that he, he's not going to trust those same pairs or those same groups on the road. I'm saying try, try something different. Try deploying your players in a different way. Try having it really resonate that they need some of these dudes to be a part of the group because if then if you find out that it's not working, you can say that you exhausted all options. You can say that you tried everything. You can go up to the front office and say, man, we tried Domi in the wing. We tried him down the middle. I can't play more than 10 minutes a night. It's just, it's, it's, you're killing me here. Go either get somebody or stand pat and know that we ain't winning this year and we're, we're thinking long-term. Or hell, flip them. Like that's, that's absolutely an option too here. So it, this stretch, find out what you have from the rest of your roster. You don't trust guys. You don't know who you can trust, Sheldon Keefe. You're saying that publicly. Well, it's on you to find out. It's on you to put those guys in positions where you can truly find out. Anyway, quick break. Let's come back. Oof, kind of a bomb for Canadians at uh, UFC 297. But damn, did we get a main event that delivered. Just want to say thank you to all the people, my friends and other people in media who texted me. Are you here at UFC in Toronto Saturday night? I was not. And I was about to say, just to reiterate. Yeah. I wasn't there. No, no. I wasn't there. Yeah. I'm fine with it. Yeah, you didn't really want to go anyway. No, it's cool. UFC comes here all the time. It's like every weekend. <laughs> hey, look, you'll just get them next yeah. time they swing yeah. through. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> nice and easy. Anyway, a uh, couple takeaways from this. Number one is actually not what happened because everyone loves drama and everyone... You know, I get it's different, Conor McGregor, Amanda Nunez. But Amanda Nunez said that she was considering a comeback at this Saturday night, and it, it, I didn't see it anywhere. Yeah, I didn't see one. I'm sure Ariel will do it today on his show. It'll be a big story, so then it'll get some more traction. But it was kind of funny to me that genuinely the greatest, I think one of the greatest female athletes of all time, period, but the greatest female mixed martial artist ever said, I'm considering a comeback, and, or the door is open for it. She didn't say, I am coming back, so I guess... And yeah. maybe it wasn't that, but that it wasn't a bigger story. I was a little surprised by that. Like, just a little. Just a little surprised that it didn't get any traction. 
Number two. Friend of the show, Drake is duplicity. Hey. He broke the curse because I was going to say, I, so I put a pretty heavy bet down on Drakus and I was feeling nervous about it. I, t- I texted my brother. I told him, I went, I think every single person I've had on my show has had a horrific loss. Nice. I was like, I, I had, well, actually, no, that's not true because Max came in right before he beat Ortega. But since then, I remember I had Blahovich in here. I had Joanna uh, Jacek in here. She was in studio. Uh... Oh, for her horrific loss, um, Blahovich obviously lost right after I spoke to him. Uh, I had on, oh, I've, I've had multiple times. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I'm trying to think about like winners that I've actually had. Uh, not too many. So, but now, now, yeah, Masvidal came on. Uh, Max did come on before his Fight Island loss. Uh, trying to think about winners. <laughs> it's pretty paper thin. <laughs> Not a lot of it's, it's the, the show is getting a little cursy. And if it had the Drake I would have started to have to disclose it to, to fighters. <laughs> and then earlier in the night, Jordan and Malat both lost who were both in studio <laughs> on the show. And I went, Ooh, just <laughs> me. that was tough. That was tough. That was really tough. Uh, especially since both lost in pretty embarrassing ways, right? Jordan loses where he celebrates winning. And then it's not his name. I don't know. I don't know. It was such a weird one because people were like, what a confusing thing. And I went, I was literally never confused. <laughs> <laughs> Who was, why did we, why did, were we confused? It's the ref raised Jordan's hand. Yeah, but it was, just, yeah, it was, yeah, he, he went the, but the name, right? Cause they were like, oh, they, I was like, oh yeah, the, yeah, it was anyway. Poor, poor Jordan though, because he did the like praise me. He put the hands together like thank you, and they went no, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, damn, <laughs> I was cold blooded. Uh, but Drakus goes and he wins. Before we talk about him a lot, Drakus wins. That dude, he came on here and remember, I asked him about five round fighting. He went, man, I've done this my whole life. And then when he's getting into the ring, I went, dude, you're so muscly. You're such a big guy. You're going to carry all that around. If this thing goes deeper into the fight, and the way it started, too, is Strickland is just picking him apart with jab, 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 heavy jab right to his face. He looks beat up after the first round. He clearly lost the first, and I went, and now we're going to get later in the fight, and you can't find the range, and you're going to be carrying all that muscle around, and the dude just kept moving forward. He he seemed completely, he would go to his corner in between and, and Strickland doesn't sit in the stool and he's just standing there waiting. And I'm like, damn. And Drake is just sitting in the stool. He's breathing kind of heavy. They're putting all the, the ice on him. And I'm thinking this is going to get harder and harder as the fight goes on. And it went the other direction. It was shocking. Drake is with all that muscle, with the lack of experience in the championship rounds, he just kept soldiering forward. He kept eating that jab and he kept closing that distance and I thought that the refs or the the judges actually got it right with the split decision that he wasn't as dominant. I thought he won the fight and most people go, no, it's just like you either win or you don't, shouldn't be a split. That one was kind of a bit of a split because those early rounds, you could have made the case for either guy. But to me, overall in the fight, it was very, very clear that Drakus was the better of the two fighters. I will say I'm not overly excited for him to fight Israel Adesanya. I just... I don't care about Izzy anymore. He's just been beaten now by a couple of guys that are not long-term champions. And so putting him in there, fine. You can settle the score between these two, but I'm just, it's not, it's not a crazy import to me. Anyways, uh, we got to take a break. I should have left more time for this, but so I'll do more on what we missed with the Canadians and with Malad. But yeah, awesome, awesome night for the UFC 
in terms of that fight and being able to build the brand of Dracus Duplessis. Anyway, quick break. Come back. Brady Quinn. Yeah, you hate seeing a fan base be in the spot where they're thinking they're just completely broken and cursed. That, because you, and I know these fan bases bounce back, and I know that Bills fans will be back, right? But an ugly. An ugly side of sports does start to set in when you have this many heartbreaking losses. And I, I know this is a Leaf fan. Is you just you hate it when you get to the point of, oh well, then you know that's just us. When the like the losses should hurt, the losses should sting. That's that's being a sports fan. And guess what? The losses are they're plentiful. There's so many losses. <laughs> they just keep coming. Yeah, you're you'll get lots of losses. Very rarely, unless you're a Chiefs fan. Six straight AFC Championship games, just un- outrageous. I was actually thinking today, it, even if they don't win a Super Bowl this year, I, I, they're already a dynasty. This is a dynasty. Like six straight AFC championship games, the first time your quarterback has to go on the road, now undefeated on the road. I don't know. I, I'm kind of in the spot where I say that you're there. You're there already. And this isn't going to let up. God, the Chiefs. <laughs> Brady and I spent, hey, Brady Quinn, uh, former NFL QB and Monday Morning Insider. What's up, brother? How are we doing? I'm doing, I think, better than you, J.D. You sound, like, pretty distraught by, uh, by last night's outcome. And no. No, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not a Bills fan, so I just empathize with them, and I'm, I've been all in on my Lions all year long. You and I, the Jared Goff train, uh, that was lovely. I was thrilled for the Lions. Heartbroken. Nah, I shouldn't say heartbroken for the Packers, but I, that, was a, that was a tough loss. But, um, yeah, we spent a lot of time this year talking about the Chiefs and how they don't look the same and – boy, these weapons are going to come back to haunt them. And then they play this one and it's just, they, they score every single time minus a fumble out the end zone. I, I think that was the tough one about this game is if you're looking at it from a betting perspective, like what I kept coming back to was, are, are, am I really not going to take the points in Patrick Mahomes? Like how rare of an opportunity is this to get Patrick Mahomes getting I, I points did. in a playoff game versus a team that he's been really good against in the playoffs, granted on the road. But this is also uh-huh. a Bills team that, was, had led less rest. Their defense was banged up. And I kind of go back to that wild card game and look at it and say, I, I feel like the offense started to find its rhythm. I mean, mm-hmm. Steve Rice, at least statistically speaking, replaced Juju Smith-Schuster. When Kelsey's productive, when Pacheco's running the football, there's a lot of positives. So I, I kind of go back and go, maybe got a little bit fooled thinking, oh, it's a road atmosphere. That's going to be the difference in this one. Um, Patrick Mahomes, the one thing I say in comparison to Josh Allen, as far as what he does that Josh Allen has struggled with throughout the course of this matchup, this rivalry, if you will, is when there is the simple completion to be there, Mahomes makes that play. When there's a bigger play to be made, he can make that one too. He struggled throwing the football down the field this season as a whole. Last night he was perfect. Four for four on throws over 20 yards and a touchdown, but didn't force anything. I thought that final series, in particular the last couple of plays, the third and nine, or excuse me, the second and nine, third and nine, the shot down the middle, that's fine. You know, Josh Allen felt like that's the touchdown, that's what I need to do here. But he had digs wide open underneath. And that's the first down, if not a lot more after the catch, even on the next play. You know, you check that ball down, you get your five extra yards. It's a more makeable shot for Tyler Bass. Maybe the field goal ends up working out differently. I'm not trying to put it on Josh Allen, but that is the one difference between the two, I think, when the game's on the line and the fumble is another kind of 
element of that. He's taken off running. The ball's out there. Lucky to get that one back. Mm-hmm. It just seems like those plays don't happen to Mahomes and they happen to Josh Allen. Dude, I totally agree. And this is actually, I, I needed to start with the Chiefs because I almost feel like I, I, well, I spent my, the top of the show talking about the Bills and all this stuff. And I went, man, the Chiefs, you know, you do have to give them credit. And I, I will say this too. We wouldn't have had those as many conversations about the pass catchers this year had Kelsey look like that. And also had uh, Marcus Valdez Scantling actually caught footballs, right? There's two splash plays that he makes that like one of them, he held the ball out. I, I don't think he was showing it to the officials. I think he was showing it to the fans and like to himself, like, I can't believe I, I can't believe I caught this. I'm holding it out here. Look, everybody, I did it. It's me. MVS. I caught this football. I did it in the cold, in Buffalo, in coverage. Unbelievable. But no, that... This is what I kind of want to hit on with this game with you because I, I I am very much in the camp of how could you really blame this on Tyler Bass? It's a really, really difficult kick and it's into the wind. You saw the way that it, the football got pushed. I didn't think there was going to be a scenario where the Bills were even going to kick a field goal on that drive. The way that they were marching, the way that they were moving the ball on the drive and just knowing that Mahomes could get the football back and drive down the field and he had 13 seconds last time he did it to you. Of course he was going to rip their hearts out with uh, two minutes and timeouts at his disposal. Like that was happening. No one on earth would have bet against that. Not even Josh Allen's like direct family, not even Sean McDermott's best friends would have backed the Bills in that spot if given the opportunity. So the missed field goal happens, but you pointed out is Allen had two throws underneath that he ends up missing, taking the two shots in the end zone. And I, I can't keep coming away from those moments wondering if, is that, is that play calling? Is that, is that Josh Allen's decision-making? That moment, that, that felt bigger to me than anything else. That and the fact that they didn't have, that was only the fourth time in Josh Allen's career where he didn't have a play that went beyond 20 yards. Right. Yeah. And, and obviously, again, to, to that point, He's typically been so good creating this big place. They would have had the one had Diggs made his catch early in the fourth quarter, I think with, what, eight minutes left. He had that mm-hmm. absolute dime piece. I mean, how many guys can throw the football 70 yards in the air like that? Effortlessly, too. I mean, just ridiculous. Um, and, and so, look, everyone played a role in that. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. The defense didn't get enough stops, obviously. The Diggs drop, Allen's decision-making, the bass kick. I mean, it doesn't matter who you want to put it on. Mm-hmm. I, I, ultimately, to answer your question, it's decision-making of a quarterback. And I think that's the one thing that you know, concerns me, again, and going back to the matchup between Mahomes and, and Allen, because, look, they, they've been so successful, more so Mahomes than Allen, but even Allen as well. He's been so successful, he's put himself in this position where that's how he's going to be measured. He's going to be measured against how he performs against Patrick Mahomes. That's unfair because you know, his defense was way more banged up. And, and even though they played well despite the injuries, wasn't playing at the level of the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are like either the number one or two, you know, scoring defense this year, the number one or two in sacks. Like that, that's a different Chiefs team they faced than what they faced in the past. Much more balanced offensively and really led by the consistency of their defense. But still, it comes down to decision-making. And it just feels like Patrick Mahomes makes the right decision at the right time. Like he knows when to force it. He knows when he doesn't have to or needs to create. And then he finds the dump downs and he allows guys to make yards after the catch. I feel like with Josh Allen, he feels like he needs to do everything. And look, you let him in. He's done that a number of times this season, but we've talked about it. It's not sustainable. At some point, you got to rely on guys to make yards after the catch. You have to allow other people to make plays for you to win football games. And and that was just an example of, again, in in the final moments, not taking what the defense gives you. 
Yeah, I I feel for Allen. I can't even think about a direct sports comparison because I know a lot of people are going with Mahomes as it's like MJ, how he just destroyed all these other guys' careers, right? Like there's there's far fewer Patrick Ewing conversations or you know Cly- well it, Clyde. Well, it's kind of like Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, right? Like yeah. Phil Mickelson is not playing in the Woods era. We probably look at his legacy as a golfer a lot different. I mean, granted, this whole live tour thing now and all that, but I'm saying on the course, sure. playing golf, that's another example of like a one-two where you always kind of wonder what if. But Josh Allen doesn't get to play till he's 60 years old competitively. You know, there's there is only <laughs> so much window here. We don't, for him. We don't know that, Timmy. Yeah, well, we don't know that yet. I, I I think he's turning 28 this year. I think he's turning 28 in like a month or something. I was I was looking it up. Is that 27 or 28? Because I was going, uh, what is the window with this dude? And he's he's just awesome. I can't, you know, maybe the Phil one is a good one. I don't know if there's a LeBron contemporary or a Jordan contemporary that I think is as good as him. But it does kind of feel like at this point, damn, just to have this quarterback, this this player who is this good, but that's the expectation of you can make no mistakes, right? You decide not to check it down one time in a football game and you lose to Patrick Mahomes. You fumble it one time. They were doing it during the broadcast. It was, I know, I think Romo's your boy, but that was an insufferable. That was a really, that was a tough performance. Uh, but th- that was what it was. It was, uh, if it's one turnover, one turnover, this is what this game's going to come down to. And that's the solace I do take if I'm a Bills fan is, man, it took a horrible decision by Andy Reid where they fumble it out of the end zone, uh, batted football on that fumble. Like that, it just, it that felt like the Chiefs game for a lot of it. But when it comes to the, the lack of the the splash play, right? You mentioned it. There there were the two drops. I only view the Diggs one as a drop. The other one was like an impossible bomb, 50-plus yards down the field to a guy that I, I barely had even heard of. But how much of that do you give credit to Spagnola? Because the first half was, boy, the Bills are just bullying them. And this is this. they're too physical. They're too big. They're just getting play after play after play. Why are they still leaving those safeties high? And then the game finishes, and they don't have any of those big plays. They don't have a moment that is a, is one over 20 yards. And I went, is this the Bills for sticking with some something too long? Is that Allen? Or is, uh, how much of that goes to Spagnuolo in the defense? No, I think a lot of it goes to Spagnuolo in the defense. I actually liked uh, Joe Brady's game plan as far as the different you know, screens and variety of ways um, that football once they realized they couldn't so i was like okay let's go with the screen game we'll get kincaid we'll get some other players shakir we'll get other guys the ball in their hands quick and that's how we're going to get our little six seven eight yard pops uh in particular on first down because we can't run the football right like again give, give the chiefs a lot of credit for the personnel front but also spagnol in the plan and i thought they took away digs i mean that was the biggest thing that i was concerned by as the bills had it in the playoffs is who is that other option you know james cook i think we saw at times was featured in particular in the last lineup. I and mean, go back and look how many uh, receiving yards he had. You know, Joe Gritty utilized them out of the backfield. They, they took away elements of that, and they weren't going to let James Cook beat them out of the backfield in those one-on-one matches in the passing game. So uh, I thought the adjustments of the Chiefs were extremely underrated. And, and to be quite honest, I mean, I don't know that Sean McDermott will get enough flack for the decision to you know run, run a fake punt with DeMar Hamlin. That I thought you were really reaching for. Uh, and then the fumble across the goal line, that's one of those lucky plays that helps you know, keep you really in the game. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of felt like at that point, like Kansas City had control throughout the course of this game. And, and Buffalo was lucky to have a shot at the end for even the Tyler Bass field goal. And as, as you pointed out when we first got on, you know, I mean, they didn't stop him even in a four-minute offensive drive. Mm-hmm. You know, when Kansas City needed to run the clock out, they ran the clock out. If they needed to run down the field to get a field goal or maybe a touchdown to win it, they probably would have done that too. I just think we underrated how good this Kansas City Chiefs defense was 
And, and that was, again, another example last night of finding ways of making adjustments to shut down Diggs and shut down really as much production as we've seen from Josh Allen in this offense. Yeah, I still can't. There's Andy Reid has some weird thing in his brain where he thinks Pacheco gets incredibly tired if he carries it one time. And maybe his conditioning is horrific, but I've seen it all year long with the Chiefs. It's like he's going and he'll make a nice run, and then he's like, get out of the game. Immediately get out of the game. We, we got to go to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. We got to hand it to Miko Hardman of all people. I went, dude, he just, he just bullied them in the red zone. He just scored a touchdown for you on the one. He just ran down the field for you. And you're giving a gadget play to Miko Hardman of all. It was mind boggling. I was completely blown away by that decision by Andy Reid. But yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. I I I just I didn't think that the Bills were the better team in this football game. And they played well and they had their moments in the first half. It looked great. But yeah, um they, there's clearly things that need to change with this team. The problem is is that now they're moving into a more difficult cap situation. There's some people that know, and I'm learning this from the people that know it better than me. I don't know how to break this stuff down. The NFL cap is all, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's Greek to me. But what do you do moving forward? Because, like, you assume that they're going to end up keeping the coach. They're going to end up keeping Joe Brady. I, I don't know how you end up finding a better pass rush or where you get some of the pieces that they're going to need moving forward. If they get a playmaker, where do you start if you're the Bills? Well, I mean, as far as the cap rebuilding and all that, I'd have to take a look at the numbers. The one thing we know is this. Josh Allen's your quarterback. So anytime yeah. you need to create cap space, you can go to him to refinance, if you will, to create more cap space. And it really comes down to the Pagulas family is their willingness. to You know, you always say the term cash over cap is to be able to pay out greater signing bonuses and bonuses and cash in general um, that you can spread out of the, over the length of a deal, knowing that at some point that's going to have to come uh, you know, come to fruition where you're, you're going to have to take that into your cap accounting. But at least for the, the near-distant future, you can spread that some of those monies out so you're not really going to be quite as impacted. But this is a team that I think is drafted you know, pretty well, but they need to find, to me, a more consistent number two option uh, mm-hmm. to Stephon Diggs. I, I know Kincaid was drafted to kind of you know, be that, and he's just a rookie, so he's going to continue to get better. But, again, I, I look at it and think they, if they're going to be – the type of team that wants to really compete ultimately with the Chiefs, you need to have a loaded roster of speed and, and, and obviously wide receivers that you can match that with. And then defensively, I thought one of the things that was the, the you know, bright, uh, bright spot for them was when they did suffer a bunch of injuries in their secondary and even at the linebacker position, they were able to overcome it. And when Von Miller kind of disappeared this year, they were still able to overcome it. A bunch of their young pieces really grew up. I thought Greg Russo had a hell of a year. So there's a bunch of guys that I think they can either continue to look to extend, uh, but even look to you know draft, develop, and invest. They don't have to, they're not at a need to put guys in right away and become that desperate with their cap situation. So mm-hmm. I think whether it's continuing to restructure, create cap space through uh, Josh Allen, even Stephon Diggs, who's still you know, to me one of the top receivers in his career, and you continue to build through the draft like they've done. They've, they've again they've drafted well, they've developed well. They're in a really good spot in my opinion. I just think they need to stay healthy. That's one of the, the things that's kind of out of your control in regards to the offseason building and so forth. Um, but, but again, I, I think they can do the draft. Yeah. McDermott brought it up in the post game. I didn't really love it. He was like, oh, you want to be healthy this time of the year? And then he went, that's not what we lost. I was like, yeah, but that's why you brought it up. That's, that's why you mentioned it. That's why you threw it in there as he was kind of getting grilled on the fake punt. Um, yeah, I, I'm not in the digs is washed camp like a lot of people are. I think that a lot of it had to do with the changes to the offensive coordinator. 
you know, the timing of right. when things really changed for him. I know he has well, the, the... Who else scares you? That's it. Who I, else scares you? Well, I like Gabe Davis, but he didn't... Like, he was hurt, right? He's and not, yes, yeah, uh, so... Yeah, he wasn't there. But this has been it all along, as you felt almost frustrated. It's just... I've been saying year after year, they need a run game, they need a run game, they need a more reliable run game. And then all of a sudden, they get a run game, and then there's nothing down the field. You go, no, you need that too. Like, just... just no, I, I'm, I'm 100% short. with you. I think the tough part is, you know, it, it, they, they started to develop a run game the second half of the season. It didn't show up last night in that game. But they're, they're starting to kind of build that, I think. And, and that's, that's, to me at least, uh, the bright spot for them. Is mm-hmm. I think when healthy, that's rosters. And, and you know who your quarterback is. Like the concerns they have, um, to, to me, are first-world problems in the NFL. Mm. You know, you're, not re- you're not worrying about re- rebuilding, restructuring. And maybe you're looking at Sean McDermott saying, all right, is, is he the guy moving forward to have we hit our ceiling? But I don't think they have. Mm. I, th- I thought this was the year that they would even potentially be able to make a run out of it. Who knows how you know, the lack of rest this week, too, played a factor. That's always something to keep in the back of your mind. But uh, I, I don't think there's as much roster reconstruction I need it for this team moving forward. Yeah. I was talking to Jeff Saturday last week and he was like, dude, those games in the cold and the physical toll, not having those extra days of rest is just a, it's a, it's a massive difference maker for these two teams. And so, yeah, maybe I'm factoring that in. Maybe the bills are better off than it feels like today. It's just, uh, you remember that game against the Patriots, the regular season game where they beat them. I think it was to win the division, yeah. right? They, they, they beat them and you go, man, Tom's gone. The, there's no more just Brady Belichick dominance in your division anymore. And then you lose three straight times to Mahomes, and he's beaten you in every single way. Uh, and it just feels like they went from Tom Brady right into Patrick Mahomes. And there's just never like that. That's the part you can never account for. Right. You can be as good as you want. Right. That guy's just always going to be waiting for you there. And now, God, I, I, I'm sure Josh Allen doesn't believe in the ghosts and all this different stuff, but I do feel like that stuff is seeps in if you, whenever you play them. There's, there's just got to be a little bit of a psychological advantage for the team that always finds a way to win. Okay, so I have what I think is going to be a dissenting opinion. I Okay, I know it's more heartbreaking because they're the Buffalo Bills, and I know that technically they're not allowed to have heartbreak because they're the Green Bay Packers and blah, 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 blah. Uh, there's the youngest team and Jordan love and there was house money. But when that game ended, I went, that's a really, 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 really bad loss. The NFC is wide open. You were the team that was the hottest team in football. You were up 21 to 14 with the ball at midfield. Your kicker misses one. Your quarterback throws an interception. That's going to go down in history. It was one of the worst ever, but man, it's, it's hard to get back. Like look at the bills, for example, they were right there with the Chiefs. They've had these chances. It feels like, okay, you were in the conference championship game. Oh, whatever. It's house money. It's house money. House money goes away real fast in this league. And I don't know. Yeah. I think they were better than the Niners. The Bills weren't better than the Chiefs. I genuinely believe that just from like a real take out the history of the two franchises, even though, you know, the, all these years of, or of Favre and Rodgers and the way that they talk about this stuff, it's like didn't materialize. And they're not the Patriots. They don't have a ton of trophies in the case. That one was awful. That was the worst loss of the weekend, far worse than the Bills. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, there's, there's a part of me, too, that, you know, I, I hate all the, the hate for, for Brock Purdy. I shouldn't say hate, but just a lot of doubters. I mean, look, he didn't play great when he needed to come up and make some throws, make some plays. He did it. Mm. You know, everyone made a big deal about uh, how he throws in the rain and then wiping his hand off and all that stuff during the course of his drop backs, which, look, when I, when I saw that, I was like, all right, Clearly, he doesn't feel comfortable about his grip on the football. And, I, and, and he does tend to have smaller hands. I mean, 
not to get off on a tangent, but yeah, the Alex you know, Smith curse. Packers. Well, it, it's you know the Packers don't will, will not have a guy who's got less than ten inch hands. You know when you go measure the combine, that's like one of the metrics they look at and say, "Yep, if our guy doesn't have ten inch hands, we don't want him." And you can look at uh, Jordan Love Smith; he's got ten and a half inch hands. Rogers has big hands. Favre yeah. had big hands, uh, and, and that's the difference because you, when you get in climates like that, you've got a little greater surface area football and spin it and control it better. And so that's you know that's that's their standard. That's how they handled it. Uh, Brock Purdy's got like nine and three eighths inch hands, which are small. I mean that's a little bit bigger than Mahomes. It's bigger than Joe Burrow just to give a comparison. So I'm not trying to make too much of it, but, you know, clearly it played a factor in that game. Purdy talked about it and admitted it, and you could tell. Um, but when he needed to make plays, he did. And I think that's what a, a good football team does. And I think we've underrated, what, four of the last five years, the uh, 49ers have been to the NFC Championship game. I mean, they're the other team that I know they haven't had the Super Bowl success, but damn, they've been consistent. Uh, but to your point about Green Bay, like this was one of those runs with the way they finished the season. And I think the way – um, their offense was playing, where you've got to capitalize. Like, you're, you're taking for granted the fact that, like, oh, we've, we've got this quarterback on a, a really economical deal. Well, guess what? It's not going to look like that after this season. You know, he's got one year left on his deal. That gives the Packers a lot of control. I, I think they're going to be willing to give him somewhere in the ballpark of at least a Daniel Jones-type extension, if not more, no considering more. Daniel Jones never even sniffed the numbers that mm-hmm. Jordan Love came up with. So, you know, now you're no longer under that, like, quote-unquote, more economical deal for your quarterback. You have a bunch of other young pieces you're going to have to figure out uh, whether or not you want to extend, renew, or you have to then develop in drafting, which we all know the Green Bay Packers have been hesitant to want to take uh, wide receivers in the first round. Just ask Aaron Rodgers. So mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of look at the, this, this window of opportunity they had on the road where you've got a lot of, like, you know, I don't want to say young, like, ignorance to how big of a stage that was, how hard it is to get to the divisional round. But I think the entire division is going to be tough next year with Minnesota rebounding, depending on who their quarterback is. I think Chicago will be better, too. Uh, I just I kind of look at it, and to your point, think this was potentially your, your chance. This was your shot to surprise a bunch of people, get on a run, much like they did with Rodgers back in, what was that, the 2009 or whatever season it was, when they went as a wildcard team, shock the world and go get a win. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. the interception you saw at the end was honestly what kind of plagued Brett Favre at the end. Like, he just – he would force footballs. And I remember being there during the end of his time in Green Bay in the playoffs watching him in, at first hand thinking, man, if, if he just threw the football away, lived to play the next down, there were sometimes you saw this awful interception. You said, this is a problem. And I think for Jordan Love, the problem was when he came out of Utah State, that was his biggest issue his final year. Like, he made some decisions that made you scratch your head and go, what was he doing? No one's going to deny the, the – you know, talent that he showcased his junior year, and even at times his senior year, second half of the season. But early on, there's some highly questionable decision making, and that's what you really saw when the game was on the line. Yeah, that was one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> I, I think we're way too critical. There's there's some things sports fans feel overly comfortable commenting on. It's like saves in hockey. We go, he should have had that one. I'm like, yeah, okay, uh, all right. Uh, and then quarterback interceptions are the other. Or we go, that's a horrific decision. I'm like, mm, all right, maybe. Uh, but sometimes not so easy. That one is just universal. You could be watching football for one week, and I could have showed you that play, and you would have said, why would he ever do that? <laughs> why He's going across his body into the middle of the field. There Wasn't there time left? Was he, yeah, yeah, all those things. And yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, listen, Bills fans, you would kill. I'm not trying to compare your pain to the Packers because I know you're sensitive right now. Don't lash out at me. All I'm saying is that, the Packers have two Super Bowls since 1996. 
Before that was 1967, um, the year of the Leafs. Uh, you've had all of these quarterbacks. You've had all these runs. I, I just, yeah, I, I don't really buy the whole, well, don't worry, we're so young and we'll be back and we'll do all these things. Like, okay, yeah, you said it. Your teams in your division are going to get better. And you had the Lions right there, a team that you kind of own. And mm, maybe the Chiefs end up there when they've been more vulnerable than years past. I just, that one felt like it, it should have stung a little bit harder given those things. But now I want to move over to the Niners side because, yeah, they get all the credit and blah, blah, blah. And I do think it's hilarious that I just pictured you shaking Brock Purdy's hand and going, oh, nine and three eighths. Very nice. (laughs) You know, his measurements down in the wire. Like how many quarterbacks in the NFL do you know their exact hand measurement? All is that, was it a one-off for Purdy because they're small? No, yeah, when they're under 10, you definitely know. Okay, that's you know, it. You kind of know, you kind of know <laughs> what to work with. So, it's just, I, look, I, I don't know yeah. what to tell you. Like, I know when I was coming out, mine were yeah. you know, bigger than 10. And yeah. I remember people oh, being nice, like, uh, oh, that's good. I was like, yeah. this is a thing? Like, nice. people get really get worried about hand size. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, some teams, they won't draft you unless you've got, a, you know, 10 or bigger. And I remember when I was young, and I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, so I obviously went to a lot of Ohio State camps. Yeah. On their evaluation for quarterbacks, they used to hand this out. I thought this was kind of shocking. So I'd be like a sixth grade quarterback, right? And at this yeah. time, I'm just a little peewee. And it would say on the sheet, be 6'3 or taller. Like, that yeah. was part of the requirement of being a quarterback <laughs> yeah. at Ohio State. And I was like, That's sick. good God, I hope I, I can grow and I become yeah. tall enough yeah. to one day have a chance to be a quarterback <laughs> at Ohio State. And I just remember thinking that. And then I was like, I wonder what other measurements are out there. But clearly, the hand size is one of them. You know what I wish it was at the combine? You know how there was, do you remember that Shaq ball? We're, this, we're close in age. You Come on. You must remember the Shaquille O'Neal ball where it was his handprint on the basketball. I think it was like KFC. Oh, right, 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 right. Everybody right. had it. Everybody had that basketball. It was like you'd put your hand on Shaq's and you go, whoa, his hand is so big. I wish there was just a football that had the over 10-inch hands and you just had to hold it and, and look. That was it. It was like the Shaq ball. You just show up at the combine. They don't even measure it. You just have to put the palm into the Shaq ball with the quarterback one, and that's it. And that's the way that it's determined. But, yeah, the, so the Niners come back. And all right, it reminded me a little bit of the Browns game where Purdy was fairly dreadful, and then he leads a what should have been a game-winning drive in the the Browns game, and what ended up as a game-winning drive in this one. I just, I think that you can be of two minds with this. You can be all right. That's kind of it's a comeback, sure. It's not exactly what a lot of us were feeling like it needed to be for the Shanahan stuff, but it's something. But the stuff you saw, you view that as a one-off because of the rain, not, hey, this Niners team is a little bit more vulnerable than we initially thought when they were the overwhelming favorites in the NFC? No, I think there's definitely some vulnerability there. Mm-hmm. I mean, their, their defense obviously didn't stop the run very well. Aaron Jones went off. That's a concern. I mean, they've been largely led by their defensive front, and even their defensive front with the addition of Chase Young isn't quite as dominant as I think they were even hoping it would be, right? Um, I mean, I think if you can block them up front, you can win those one-on-one matchups on the outside. And so as, as you kind of peek into the, you know, the next game and looking at the, the NFC Championship game, I, I look at Amara St. Brown, I look at Jamison Williams, Josh Reynolds, I look at some of those pieces. And even if I know Cleve Raymond wasn't in on this one, but if he comes back for the Lions next week uh, and, and with Laporta still out there, like there's plays to be made versus that secondary. They are not the same. They really do miss Telenoa Hufunga, who is kind of like a – to me, he reminds me of a guy who played against Troy Polamalu and has nothing to do with the heritage, just the way he plays. Mm-hmm. He can be so versatile, blitzing, stopping the run, playing off in coverage, or matching up in man-to-man. He could do everything. So that, that's kind of how I used to see Troy Polamalu. And, like, they miss that piece in their secondary that has more of a bite of, hey, where is this guy? Right? Like, I've got to constantly be concerned about where this guy is at, not just the pass rush, but where this guy's at in coverage, or is he blitzing, or, or what's he doing? 
and, and they don't have that anymore. So I, I look at that secondary and say, uh, I don't know. I, I could see Detroit and Jared Goff going off and, um, and, and him being able to find those matchups. And Ben Johnson just does a masterful job mm. uh, adding unique little wrinkles in every single week in his game plan. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think they're vulnerable, and especially if Detroit can find a way of stopping the run and putting this on Purdy, and all of a sudden Jared Goff gets hot. We know he's one of those quarterbacks, man. When, when he gets in a rhythm, like, he's unstoppable, and especially off play-action pass. So if they get Gibbs going a little bit too, uh, even Montgomery as well, like, that's a, it, it's just a scary combination of a team that's hot right now. I think has a lot of beliefs in, in the brand of football they're playing. Yeah. Um, watching the Lions now, time for my lines. The, the thought I had – uh, when I was going on the Niners was, boy, that Lions run game could look scary for San Fran right now. And especially the way that Gibbs looked and how he, the way he played in that game, I, I thought this is why teams are always going to take the shot at the sexy running back when they, when they have this competitive window, because when it hits like that, you go, oh, they're, they're geniuses. They're brilliant. They nailed this thing. Um, yeah. Do you think that the, you and I have had a lot of conversations about the Lions this year and it went from pretender Contender, pretender, contender. Do you feel like they they taught you something different about them with that win? Because I wondered if something materially changed actually with the aggression of their play calling where they just stuck with the same kind of game plan for the entire game instead of parking it with the lead and changing who they were at halftime. I would describe it as this. That win this weekend in the division round to me was was bigger than the wild card round for this reason. I know there was a lot of great drama and storylines with, with the Stafford and Goff and the history there and all that. I, mm-hmm. I get that. And that, that's where I was curious to see with, you know, the playoff game at home after winning the division, all the hype that went into it and the emotions and the energy. Like, were they going to come out with the same? Like, were, were they going to be able to sustain that? Or, or were they going to come out and, and be kind of like the Detroit Lions team you always like falling back to or regressing to where they come out flat or Goff gets pressured, doesn't play well, and, and I think that was why it was a narrative-changing win. I think for them, not only this season, like no matter what they do in the NFC Championship game, but I just think moving forward. Like, mm-hmm. like this team now has con- been completely transformed by Dan Campbell. And, and really everyone else, too, Brad Holmes in the front office, always look, they've found a team that has toughness, grit, and they've found their identity, not so much in anything else of the past, but like what they are now, what they are today a team that's going to be able to kind of impose their will on you physically. And then they've got enough playmakers and they've got an OC who can scheme things up to find their playmakers and find those big time opportunities. So I just, I thought that was a dominant win. I thought Tampa Bay, the way they were playing, would be able to keep that thing close within the number. I know we were a two point conversion away of, of that maybe being the case for some folks, but the truth is, is Detroit to me handled Tampa Bay that entire game. Very similar to how I kind of felt about Kansas city and Buffalo the score seemed closer than, than in reality it actually was in my mind. No, yeah, they kick her ass. Like, my, it, it, was, it was. That was a beat-down game. And I know Baker had a chance at the end of it, whatever. Was, no, just, come on. It was an eight-point game. Baker Mayfield wasn't going down the field again. It was incredible even just to have the score be close. Uh, it was an unbelievable fourth and 14, I want to say, down the sideline to Evans yeah. to just sort of – and then the laser yeah. beam that he threw in the end zone. So it just – it took some breaks for them 
to even get the, the, throw, the throw before that, before yeah. the one to the end zone. Yeah. The, the one he threw in between the tight covers, that was probably the best ball he threw all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, it was just, it, it, it was not close. I never felt like, oh boy. And my favorite moment was CJ Gardner Johnson just giving it to Baker. I was like, this is so good. Got that intercession, ran over to him, tried to shovel the football to him. I went, that's cool. That's, that's, that's great attitude. That would have pissed Baker off so much. And you could tell that he was getting annoyed with it when he was starting to shove guys after sacks. And that's actually what I love about Baker is that you you both want to root for him and root against him. He he really is like you feel the same two things whenever you watch him play. He's a polarizing player, but he plays with a huge chip on his shoulder. I think that's yeah. what people love. Like people love players who play with emotions. They're not robots. They're humans out there, and you know, call what you want it. it, it uh, some people gravitate towards him. Some people are, are put off by it. Mm. But either way, you feel some type of way about him. Yeah. I, I think that's. That's one of the things that makes him kind of a popular subject to talk about. The curious thing now is, was this enough for the Tampa Bay Bucks to make a big-time commitment for no. him moving forward? No. And and I'll be curious to see what that looks like. Because obviously, you know, to, to the point of, uh, you know, Gardner Johnson, like this is a pretty talented wide receiver group, mm-hmm. and they've got to make some decisions too on Mike Evans and mm-hmm. what the rest of uh, this group looks like moving forward. No, Mike Evans is not coming back. That's already been established, right? Like, he's out. He's been on record. I would, I would imagine so. Either yeah. out to another team or out to retirement. Yeah. Ooh, retirement. I mean, I think he's getting up there in age where, like, at this point, maybe he wants to go play for a contender, but, like, you see the reports, too, about a guy like Travis Kelsey's played 11 years, and I think Mike Evans is somewhere around that number, too. And he's just he's so together good numbers still. He that dominated this year. I, I, I know, but I'm just saying, like, he might – you never know with some of these guys. Like, some guys like, get to a point they're like, I'm good. I've got a Super Bowl. Like, what, what more do I really run at this point? Maybe, maybe they just want to call it call that career at this point. Uh, I, think, I think he goes somewhere else for big money. Someone pays him, and then it's, it's a situation where it's like year one is awesome, and then the rest of the contract – But what is he now, 31? I mean, you're going to have a hard time finding someone to make a huge financial commitment to him uh, at this point in the game. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that he... I mean, think about this. Think about all he's done for the Tampa Bay Bucks. They wouldn't even do it. If they're not going to do it, I, I have a hard time believing you're going to find another hmm. franchise that's really going to you know, open up the checkbook for him in that capacity. See, you know who I thought of was I... If I was... I, again, I don't know cap space or anything like that, but I, I thought as soon as this one was over, I went, if I was that team... If, if the Texans have all this cap space, right? If you're Houston and you have that quarterback and you have that... You know, the Nico Collins already, and you've got Tank Dell coming back. I would, that's, that's the kind of team. Colts, they've got uh, no real receivers. You want to get somebody for Anthony Richardson, go out and get this dude, where all of a sudden it's just like that jump ball that you can throw to a 6'5 guy. Yeah, he's, he's older. He's 31, but I, I just still think when, man, when he's on, he's one of the nastiest dudes in football. Uh, okay, the Ravens, got to close on them. Um, yeah, the Texans, it, it just felt completely overwhelmed, completely overmatched. But what impressed you most about Baltimore on Sunday? Uh, I think the fact that they could just turn it on like they did in the second half and and absolutely do whatever they wanted. I mean, the one concern is that the passing game wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. Granted, you know, look, the conditions play a little bit of that. Maybe there's some rust there. Mm. I'd like to give some credit to D'Amico Ryans. I think he's done a good job with their defensive game plans in the playoffs. We could go back to Cleveland and go back to looking at, you know, this matchup, at least in the first half. But um, to me, it was more of like the issue that every team's going to face moving forward next week, the Chiefs, and then what I think to be the case is going to be in the Super Bowl is when, when Lamar Jackson takes off, like you just you can't prepare anyone for it. Mm-mm. Like you just can't. 
Like, he's that much of a difference maker as an athlete. And it's, it's, he's hard to tackle. He's hard to bring down. He's hard to get a hand on. It's hard to touch. play design for him. I, I, like it's, it's just – and that's what you're going up against. And mind you, you still have to worry about Likely, who's a mismatch for any you know, linebacker safety. You still have to worry about, say, Flowers and all the other pieces in the passing game and the fact that they can run the football and the fact that their defense is going get, to get stops, get turnovers, get pressures. They are, they are to me, the most complete team. Like, I don't know if there's any really concern about any, anything in all three phases that that team has. I think Kansas City, with the way they played last night, maybe feels a little bit like that. But even then, as good as Patrick Mahomes is, like, he doesn't have Lamar Jackson's ability to run the way he can. So I, I just – in that place, man, Baltimore, that was like a house of horrors for me during my time in Cleveland. I think anyone who's played there as a quarterback would agree with that. Uh, it's just a tough – tough place to try to go win a football game it's loud they've got a great fan base and that defense just turns up i, I kansas city's gonna have the work cut out for them in this one yeah i've been there as a fan all right so i get it i <laughs> i've been there uh it's it is an awesome team i actually the the thought i had watching it was everyone always talks about seattle everyone always talks about kansas city in terms of the loudness and the home field advantage and Man, it gets it gets loud in there, and you know they start moving the chains. They do that uh, the the chain moving sound on offense. It just they they got a they got a cool energy in that stadium. Like it's a it's a it very is. it's a very very unique badass fan base that I don't think gets weirdly enough credit amongst all of the who are the strongest fans. It's like that that fan base they bring it, dude. They're they, yeah, it is. It's just. And- it does feel like there's a 12th man there. Now, yeah. granted, like when That's you play I mean. against St. Louis and Ed Reed, a, a little bit different, but sure. that that team at home, the way they fly around, it just it feels like they have a true 12th man out there on the field with as loud as hard as it is to communicate. Um, and I just I, I think that's going to be a, a tough, tough challenge for Patrick Mahomes. Like the offensive line, to me, it probably has stepped up more than any group so far in the playoffs is the Chiefs' offensive lines because the tackles have both struggled this year. And I actually thought, like, this matchup versus the Bills, that was one area where I'm like, all right, even though the Bills' defense is banged up, the tackle play has not been good for Kansas City. I, I thought that was probably one of the underlying things for Kansas City was the way that the offensive line stepped up, but in particular, in particular the tackles. So, mm. you know, we'll see in this matchup, you know, going up against now, a, a, you know, a Baltimore Ravens team that can can get after the passer just as good as anyone. That's it to me, though. That that was So Lamar is Lamar, and if, if he doesn't have to throw – and he can have a game like that, a game script where it's, and he can, it's just, yeah, you, you feel like it's unfair. He's totally the Mike Vick and Madden thing where you go, well, you're not allowed to do that. That's not, uh, he's, he, even when you think he's going down, like, and he does the little shimmy shakes on guys in the open field. It just, ugh, God, he's so elusive. That's the thing about him. He's fast, but he's just the, he's the guy on the playground that you're with is a, who's just impossible, right? Like it's just, he's so herky jerky. The movement is so different. But Lamar is Lamar. He didn't really teach me anything different about him in that football game. He was awesome, but there was nothing different about it. It's just that defense. They, to me, feel different than everybody else's. Like, everyone's talking about the Chiefs and all this stuff. It's like, nah, they don't, they don't have that nastiness that Baltimore has. They don't just swarm to the football the way Baltimore does. Kyle Hamilton back there. Like, they hit hard, dude. Yeah. They hit hard well, and, and, all game long. They're, they're so good. And think about that matchup, too. Like, Kyle Hamilton was created by God to be a football player that can match He's up so awesome. like Travis Kelsey. He's like, so like, awesome. Look at his size and length. Like yeah. How many guys are that tall, that long, that athletic to match up and man or zone coverage versus a, a tight end that's a mismatch for most? Like 
that's why you have him. You draft him for the chess piece he is on defense and the different things he can do, but also because when you want to play man-to-man, guess what? You throw him on Travis Kelsey, and unless you try to scheme him open, throw a bunch, stack, motion, something like that, he, he's not just going to release down the field and get open against Kyle Hamilton. Like, that's, that's why you draft a guy like Kyle Hamilton in that secondary. And mind, mind you, they didn't have Humphrey this past week. Like, for as good as they were against C.J. Stroud, who's literally torched the entire league up until this past week, they didn't have their best cornerback, and they still were able to basically suppress him to one of his worst, um, I guess you'd say, or least productive games of his rookie year. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 it's early, but I, I like the Ravens for that reason next week. It, I know. It feels kind of chalky, right? Like, I'm pulling for the Lions. I just I feel like it feels like it's going to be kind of chalky, and, and look, rightfully so. Like yeah. San Francisco and Baltimore, I thought distinguished themselves above everyone else. Baltimore, with the way those two matched up when they played as the best team, and if it ends up being that for the Super Bowl, I guess the whole conspiracy theory about the logo is going to come true. Oh, but big time! Oh, big that. time! Oh yeah, it's a uh, I get. I'll be part of that. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be like, man, Aaron Rodgers stepped into something. <laughs> he knew, he knew. Uh, Brady, thanks as always for the time, brother. Go measure some hands. I will. I'm about to right now. Thanks, Katie. <laughs> See you, brother. Brady Quinn, former NFL QB, uh, Monday Morning Insider for the show. Uh, yeah, uh, okay. I got lots of time to talk football, so we'll take a break on this. But I, I'm the Ravens, everyone makes up about how, oh, the Chiefs defense, they have Sneed, right? He's incredible. D- not discussed enough yesterday how much he is locked down digs. What a big part of that is. But Baltimore is not relying on cornerbacks. They don't need to throw to a corner. To, to beat Kansas City. They're not, oh, take Diggs away. Oh, what, take Zay Flowers away, right? Oh, what, take Odell. All right, Sneed's on Odell Beckham Jr. You saw how the Chiefs got run on. You saw they're kind of soft up front. They got now some injuries in their linebacker, injury at safety. That Baltimore team, it's just, that's a different level of physicality to me right now. I was watching them going, oh, yeah, that out of this entire weekend, you, that was the team you went, oh, yeah, that's the best team in football. This is, this is the best team in football. They just have one Achilles heel, which is if they fall behind big in a football game, I, I'm, I'll, I don't trust Lamar to just pick a team apart with his arm. I just I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think he's that guy. We just have to accept Lamar Jackson for who he is. He's the MVP. He's brilliant. Um, but we definitely focus too much on that and not enough on the other stuff. And my God, just if, imagine being a Falcons fan who watched Desmond Ritter this entire season and <laughs> Tyler Heineke. And watching Lamar do this race, juke, 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 and thinking, oh, sorry, we said we're not. Yeah, we weren't interested. We weren't interested in that guy? I mean, why? <laughs> Excuse me, hello, why were we not interested in Lamar Jackson? What was the purpose for that? Excuse me, anybody? Anyways, quick break, let's hit what we missed. Reminder for everybody. Ahead of the 2024 Rogers NHL All-Star Game this year, we will be giving away tickets to the NHL Fanfare coming to Toronto from February 1st through the 4th. So just listen for the daily code word on episodes of this podcast, the J.D. Bunkus podcast, until January 26th. So the end is this week. Then text the code word to 59590 to be entered for your chance to win. Today's code word is Matthews. Our next code word will be in tomorrow's episode. However, uh, tickets to the Fanfare are always available for purchase uh, at NHL.com backslash fanfare. So get them while supplies last. Uh, all right, fellas, what we miss? 
So quickly, Jason Kelsey. We got to talk mm-hmm. about Jason Kelsey. Yes, what a beauty do. he was tailgating. He was tarps off. He was jumping down yes. and crushing beers. He was really kind of stealing the show yeah, from an awesome. awesome game. I know you had a quick Jason Kelsey thought. I, I mean, I'm obsessed with him. He's the best. It's, it's America's funny. sweetheart. Well, it was funny because he was in the he's in the booth with Taylor Swift, and I went. Jason Kelsey is to me what <laughs> Taylor Swift is to the ladies. I, I see if, him and I'm like, ah. I wonder if all like the Swifty fans who were watching the game are like, stop showing this man. And it's just the reverse of dude, all the NFL fans being like, stop showing Taylor. That's, that's how much people love this dude. He's the best. He can show up to the Bills. And I know, it's not like the Bills would have are uh, as nasty as some other places. I do think that they're more... There's some uh, Bills fans flipping the bird. Sure. They'll they'll do a little trash talking, but I think generally a happier-go-lucky fan base than, say, the Eagles. But I, I couldn't help but think about the difference between the Eagles fans standing outside the stadium last year when Joey Bosa was there doing the yeah. Bowza, you're loser, Bowza, versus Kelsey standing among the people, drinking shots and hanging out with them and then jumping out of the... like. I, Imagine any other fan, any other player, any anybody jumping out and walking amongst Bills fans yeah. in what is one of the most important games in their recent franchise's history and fans going, I, I mean, maybe there's probably a few there that went, we've had enough of these antics and we're booing them. <laughs> but I, it felt as though the overwhelming sentiment yeah. in that stadium was, we also this love this guy. Yeah. This guy's the man. Yeah. God, I love him. And shout out, he there was a video too where he like after the game he like picked up a little girl Bills fan and brought her to the yeah. thing to like wave and say hi yeah. to Taylor Swift, Dude, which honestly is just like he's sweet and the cool. Man. He's the man. <laughs> I I got genuinely emotional watching his like Nick is an Eagles fan. I know I care more about Jason Kelsey than Nick, <laughs> who has watched him win a Super Bowl game. I know I do. I watched again the ESPN feature of when he got his brother reinstated at Cincinnati, mm. and it was this incredible heartwarming feeling where he's going he like he got travis back into football after he failed a drug test was kicked out of the league and he went into the coach's office and stumped for his brother and it just ah i love the guy Brothers, there's, man there's no may i never get sick of this dude <laughs> please don't let there be a weird tipping point in his career because i just yeah he's this is such a strange thing to say but in terms of athlete personality wise Shaq is always the top of the mountain to me. Sure. Like, I love Shaq. Everything Shaq does is the best. And to him showing up at jewelers and buying guys engagement rings, and he has that credo, Shaq, yeah. of make someone's day the best day yeah. every day, yeah. which is the best. His yeah. perspective is awesome. I love the way he carries himself. He's always having fun. He's always giving to others. He gets it. And Jason Kelsey also just gets. Anyways, that's enough of you guys. I was like, what did we miss? That you love Jason Kelsey so much. Yeah, we have a lot of, no, uh, of I, other what we missed, but who no, cares? It's my number one parasocial relationship. We're like, man, I think we would be friends. <laughs> so embarrassing, but so true. Anyways, subscribe to this podcast, leave five stars, and we'll see you tomorrow for more Jason Kelsey talk. <laughs>